Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Hover and Text Expander and Woo. Direct Mail. Woo. Yeah, baby. I'm Simone de Rochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Developer Advocate, I think is still your title, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> and Rihanna Wu, Democratic Candidate for Congress. You had it, you had your one chance. Christina, it's done. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's technically cloud rather than developer. We've, we've stopped having the uh, delineation between the different types of advocates, but it doesn't matter. It's Senior fine. Senior Cloud Advocate. <laughs> Yeah. Was there a long meeting at Microsoft somewhere in F- in Seattle where you had to decide this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say, a- Senior Cloud Developer Advocate did roll off the tongue nicely once I got my brain around it. Senior Cloud Advocate. Cloud Advocate. Cloud Advocate? Cloud Advocate. Dadvocate. I know, trust me, it, it, it's hard because every week I do a show where I'm like... Welcome back to another episode of This Week on Channel 9. I'm your host, Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Developer. But now I have to switch to Senior Cloud Advocate. And yeah, you're right. It it, it switches a little bit differently. Senior Cloud Advocate. Yeah, it, you know, you get used to one thing and then it changes on you. I think Cloud Boss. Just Cloud Boss. That's what you cloud are. Cloud Boss. You're the Cloud Senior Boss. Senior Cloud Boss. Yeah. I like that. That one works for me. Well, we have a super exciting show today for you as usual. Uh, we're going to be talking... About the Big Apple news that happened oh immediately after we recorded last week, um, as well as uh, Vice's recent expose on Google Jigsaw. And of course, if you don't know what our third topic is, I don't think you've listened to Rocket before. But for you <laughs> new listeners out there, it's Taylor Swift. She's in the news again. Yeah, this There's is some so drama. exciting. There's some it's drama. A good, it's a good one. It's a, it's a rich vein. It it It, it is. I'm... I'm not even going to lie, you guys. I'm very excited about all of our topics. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good week. Well, let's get right into it. Um, Wait, before before we start the topic, can I just give some background? So we record Rocket generally on Wednesdays, and we recorded early last week. And this news came out, and I was sitting here, and I read it, and I just dropped the F-bomb. And I'm texting Christina instantly. And we're going, uh-huh. this is so huge. Do we need to like go do an addendum for the show? And we're like, no, no. we were like thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. We're like, nope, too late. No, like this is how significant it was. I used at channel and club Apple on, at our work Slack. Oh, um, wow. Now, now, wow. Uh, now Slack, Slack users will know that at channel is like the most contentious of things you use. And obviously I didn't do it for the entire Slack instance, just for people who are in club Apple. But I was like, I apologize for the at channel. However, this is actually breaking news. Yeah. Also, uh, we didn't record early last week. I, I'm looking at our, our Facebook Messenger. We recorded as usual. This was a genuine Thursday breaking news oh. situation. This so, was a genuine, this was a genuine like rocket rule. The quintessential like, rocket rule. Maybe the it's most Thursday. rocket rule ever. This was the nuclear war of rocket rules, basically. Yeah, yeah. And and for anybody who hasn't uh, caught up on on the news, uh, Johnny Ive, uh, Sir Johnny Ive, Sir uh, Johnny ha- ha- <laughs> is is leaving Apple. Yes, yes, he's leaving. So this is, of course, Apple's designer uh, guru, the the man who created the look, and he is moving on. Where is he moving on to? He's creating his own company 
uh, Apple will be a client. They say he will still be getting paid millions of dollars a year for Apple. But I mean, who knows how uh, how much work he's actually going to be doing is going to be different. But he's he's doing his own thing. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of, you know, when you reach a certain pinnacle in your career, when you've like invented the iPhone, the way the iPhone looks, you're like, you know what, I can do whatever the hell I want now. I'm going to set up my own company and just kind of let it run itself and go bask in in the in Bermuda or something. I mean, yeah, it feels like he's kind of been uh, kind of moving not away from Apple, but he's certainly been doing other design projects for quite a while. You know, he he's experimented with watchmaking. Didn't he design a lay? How do you say it? Leica, 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 Leica camera. Yeah, didn't he have a collaboration with them like a few years ago where he yeah, he and, did and, like uh, a, and, yeah, and and he was also said to have been very very involved in the design of Apple Park, which is right. the new Apple campus. You know. The which spaceship. is understandable, but yeah. Um, but well, but that's a different type of design thing, right? Like, I mean, he's the true, I guess you could say, like polymath designer insofar as he's not just industrial design, but then that is architecture. And then he also does some other types of things. And uh, yeah, there was this Wall Street Journal um, article that uh, Tim Cook Ooh, later... I was uh, hoping we'd get to this, yeah. Yeah, yes. l- l- later uh, disputed. But, but the Wall Street Journal wrote an article um, that basically... Uh, said a lot of the same things about the information and Bloomberg said as well, which is that he'd basically been checked out of the day-to-day stuff um, since he was promoted to chief design officer um, after the Apple Watch came out. And that, um, you know, so for a lot of people, even though this is obviously a massive deal that the, the guy who for the last 27 years has really defined the look of mm-hmm. every Apple product was leaving people uh you know, at the company or or close to the company, at least according to to those three outlets, said that you know he has not been involved in the day to day stuff for quite some time. Yeah, and they're still even then giving it some time because he's gradually transitioning out for the rest of this year, and then will be leaving for good in twenty twenty. So they're they're making it a very probably for him and also to not accept ec- upset sorry accept upset stockholders. Just like a very gradual transition. Yeah, I mean, although at this point, I kind of I feel like the stock market reacted. It was about a one percent drop, you know, when there were some other things. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is not Apple's not one of those companies that makes decisions based on what the stockholders are going to do. Nope. Mm-hmm. This was probably going with some other things. I mean, by all accounts, every single report we've seen, and and there's no reason to believe even the the refutation that that. Uh, uh, Tim Cook made to Dylan Byers at NBC News didn't refute this is that he hasn't been coming into the office for years. Like people have, he's had his own studio in San Francisco and he's only come in a couple times a week. So there's a question, I guess, and, and this seems to be what Apple would certainly want the message to be, even if they don't say it explicitly, which is, Hey, you know, his lieutenants and his people, he built a great team and has a great team who are still on board at Apple. And a lot of the day-to-day stuff is not going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the bigger question is, and I think honestly, like even if you aren't looking at any of that reporting, if you just look at how visible Johnny has been at various Apple launches over the years, he hasn't been in the videos for a while. If nope. you, it, I, I've noticed this. I noticed that he was not in the um, the Mac Pro video, and there have been some other product videos that he hasn't 
his face hasn't been in, his voice hasn't been in. And historically, you know, that was like one of the the go-to kind of, you know, things in an Apple video where you would have Johnny Ive talking about the design and and, and why it's so magical and this and that and, and usually saying aluminum at least once. And, <laughs> and, you know, it was it was kind of a trope. Um, and that hasn't been the case. My so, God, I wish that were my job. I, sh- I guess I should be a genius and invent something really uh, good right, looking. Right, exactly. Wouldn't it be amazing <laughs> if we were all like as talented as, as Johnny Ive, but I mean, I think don't the, you think that kind of got to a point of parody? I mean, there's yeah, a of course pitch it did. perfect Conan take on that. And he said, like, the, oh, it's magical, the aluminum. I mean, it's just, yeah. I don't know. Oh, without was, a doubt. Yeah. But, but, but even without that stuff, I mean, just the fact that he's not in those videos is notable, whether that means anything or not. It's something that I'd certainly noticed over the last couple of years. I was like, okay, that's that's interesting, whether it was indicative of him not being as involved in the day-to-day or not, or maybe it was him going in another direction. But it was kind of an interesting thing where they would still talk about the design, but you wouldn't have your chief design officer kind of opining, which is just, I'm just Mm. noting that. I don't know if that means anything. I'm just noting that. But I think the big question has been not so much, um, John Gruber made this point on on, uh, Daring Fireball, where what bothers him isn't that Johnny Ive is leaving but that it doesn't appear that they have anybody to replace Johnny Ive at Apple. I was wondering about that because even in his, you know, detachment from it, I don't think I've seen anybody like step up to be the the spokesperson or the face of the design team in his place. Is that your impression as well? Well, I mean, I have thoughts about this. Um, yeah. So – one of the things that really, well, they, even with Steve Jobs, people have criticized him for it, was kind of taking credit for the entire team, right? So when you have, mm-hmm. especially modern software development, right? Like it's a team of hundreds of people shipping things, working on the materials, refining the designs, figuring out the heat tolerances, figuring out the electrical work. All of these things are like decided by such big teams. And like as humans, we need to like look at one person and feel like they're the leader. But Steve Jobs was criticized for that for years. And yet Johnny Ive has, you know, he's very much a figurehead in that same sense. Um, You know, has the design of iOS gotten better since, you know, Scott Forstall left and Johnny Ive was kind of placed in this nebulous, like, what was it, the the head designer of Apple? Like, has the overall look of the entire operating system gotten more consistent? I think so. But I, it just, it feels like it's more of a, a team vision to it. So I, I don't know if we need to be able to point to one person and say, yeah. this is the lieutenant for me to feel confident that Apple's going to be able to continue making good decisions with this. Well, I think, I think what it is though, and I kind of do agree with, with Grouper on this, is that you've had people like Ive and uh, Jobs who, even if they were giving outside, even if they were given outsized credit, like let's just say that they were, there's no mistaking that they had very distinctive points of view. And especially when they were working together, came up with extraordinary things, um, you know, you know, kind of uh, playing off of one another and then being able to edit and whatnot. And I think there is something to be said about having someone who is in charge, oh, regardless, yeah. you know, like like somebody who is who has that role of you, you are the figurehead and you are the kind of the tastemaker 
for these things, for, for good or for bad. And Johnny Ive was definitely that at Apple. I do think that it is, I, I don't want to say concerning, but it definitely, you know, makes me think that, uh, you know, it raises questions, I guess is what I would say, if that sort of person does not exist. And if instead you just have kind of a, a design team running, you know, I feel like there does need to be one of the reasons why Apple has been so strong historically was because it had a very opinionated, very gifted design person um, running things as well as, you know, I mean, a lot of people have criticized Tim Cook. I haven't fallen for, I I haven't agreed with this as much as some others have, but people have made, I think it's not an unfair critique of Tim Cook to say, you know, that he doesn't have the sort of taste and the sort of ideas and the sort of product sense that Steve Jobs did. And I think that's absolutely true. But I think you look at, okay, Apple has been this company that has, you know, made its name on, on these things. What happens when you don't have visible people in the company that are doing those things? Sorry, Simone, I know you want to talk. Do you think, I mean, why why don't you think that they, I imagine they'll probably find some young designers to step up and, I mean, this could be a great opportunity for them to sort of show a new face and, like, get some energy into those uh, th- those keynotes by showing off, like, well, Johnny's leaving, but here's the amazing people we have on this team. Yay, confetti. But why do you think that they've not done that already? I I mean, I personally think the the way that this is going to go is... Starting from the keynote next year and the commercials, we'll have new people from the design team. Like when it comes to the people that go on stage to, you know, really represent Apple at the keynote every single year, they they almost like try them out and then they graduate to like the iPhone keynote, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it's like you prove yourself. So I think what you're gonna see, and this is just a guess on my part, is them starting to kind of put some of the people from the design team that have been there that we don't see because we're outside of Apple and let them kind of step up as more of a, a public face of the the design aspects of the company. I mean, I sure hope that's what happens. I mean, I think that that is a great opportunity now is for people within to be able to take that opportunity and be and step up. And, and hopefully, you know, that has been cultivated um, during, during Ives' time. Um, but I think that just realistically, even... And I, I agree with you. I'm sure they'll be showing people off. But I, I think that realistically, part of this, too, is just why people say, well, why haven't we had that? Well, it's not that common. You know, the people who mm-hmm. have the sort of gifts that Johnny Ive have is really, really rare. Um, the I, I mentioned this on Twitter on Sunday. Uh, Robert Brunner, who was uh, ran design at Apple um, uh, before Johnny Ive and actually hired Johnny Ive, he went on um, to form his own company, the Ammunition Group, and they've done amazing, you know, industrial design stuff. And he's actually, you know, they were the ones behind Beats by Dre. And I met him at a at a Beats event. This was before Apple bought Beats. And he said, like, very good-naturedly, like, in no way, you know, kind of, like, there was there was no animosity, there was no anger or anything. He was like, I hired Johnny Ive is going to be on my tombstone. Like, this is the guy <laughs> that, that created the power book. This is the guy that, you know, designed Beats, who has a lot of really good design work to his name and is an amazing industrial designer in his own right. But he knows that the thing that, you know, probably the, the thing people will always mention with him in any sort of obit or whatever is that he hired Johnny Ive at Apple. And I mean, other than somebody like, uh, you know, um, Rand at, 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 you know, Braun, um, there haven't been that many um, industrial designers in the 20th century who've had the type of impact that Johnny Ive has. 
Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Just period. You know, it, it's just th- these aren't people who you can just like every generation you have one. Like that's not actually how it works, at least so, so that we've seen, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, but on that point, there have been some people, and I, I want to stress this is just people's opinion. Uh, we don't have any evidence for this outside of uh, like there's no reporting you can point to. But a lot of people have made the observation of the failing uh, keyboard in yeah. the Mac. And, you know, this has every single hallmark of a knife decision. It made it a little bit thinner, a little bit lighter, and it ended up really, really, really sacrificing performance in a very serious way. And totally. There, there are some, and I'm not saying I subscribe to this. We're just having a discussion where I'm talking about all the points of view out there. There are some people out there that have put forward that maybe, maybe Apple's design in the post-Ives era could get a little bit more pragmatic, where it might totally. be willing to go back and yeah, have a little no. bit more thickness. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be great. I think it's going to be hard to tell, right? Because Ives is leaving in 2020. But you have to think, you know, the, the way that these design things work is that we're going to be seeing stuff in the pipeline for years to come. So it could pro- it could be, you know, four or five years before we actually get a really good sense, at least in the industrial design of the products themselves, of what stuff looks like post-Ive, right? Like, it, or at least things that don't have his DNA all over it. And I think the other thing to say there is that if these reports that his day-to-day involvement has been less and less over the years is accurate, then that kind of makes him a scapegoat in an unfair way, I think, for mm-hmm. things like the keyboard decision. When those might have ha- happened, you know, because of other groups, you know, other decisions made at Apple. Now, maybe yeah. you could argue that that's been led by the, the you know, um, things that he's cultivated and the things that he said are important. But all the reports seem to indicate he hasn't been, you know, like as hands-on in quite some time. And yet this keyboard happened anyway. Like to me, you can't have it both ways. You can't say he's responsible for the terrible keyboards on the Touch Bar MacBook Pros and he hasn't been involved in day-to-day parts of the company since 2015. Yeah, like, he didn't swoop into the office one day and say, make those keys flat here, a butterfly hinge for you. That's my Johnny Ive impression. It's very good. Um, feel free to praise it. Uh, it's great. So, uh, I, Thank I you. Think I think I want to stick to like a journalistic level of what we know and what we don't know here. I think it would be accurate to say we don't know either way. It's speculation. You shouldn't believe anything anyone says. What I do think would be accurate to say, though, is in the post-Ive era, Apple is presented with both an opportunity and a crisis, right? Like yeah. there, there's going to be um, extra scrutiny towards their design decisions moving forward. Um, I think what I would like to see is Apple move back to a little bit more pragmatism. And I'm not saying things like don't get rid of headphone jack. That was obviously a great decision. But, you know, with power management, with heat, with key thickness, I, I would like to see them move that back a little. And one additional thing. You know, I, like everyone on this podcast, I'm a huge fan of his work. I've read the books on his, like Johnny Ive. I've I have coffee table books filled with the <laughs> things he's designed. I'm a huge fan. But Motherboard put out a piece I thought was eminently fair, saying, you know, the, the aftermath of Johnny Ive is going to be a, a really stark environmental legacy. Because he really, that whole era of Apple devices, it did really usher in things like 
AirPods that you use until the battery uh, like goes dead and then you have to throw it away because it can't be really repaired. Um, you know, and just kind of the disposable gadget because it's glued shut and the battery is sealed inside. I, I think that's all like an eminently fair criticism. Now, I'm not saying I want Apple to go back to be the, what was the open source POS phone that they were going to like tackle oh. the iPhone with? You know what I'm talking about. But yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. I don't yeah. want us to move back to that, but I do think this is a point for Apple to to reflect on where they are and where they want to go moving forward. Yeah, the one thing I'll kind of say to that, because and, and then I know that we need to get on to our next topic. I don't disagree with the motherboard article, I, although I think that, you know, I, the people who are writing it come from a certain point of view where they are in the repair business and that has an impact. I mean, I, I'm pro, you know, repair or, or whatnot. I, I do think that, you know, we do need to think about as an industry a lot more about how we recycle and how we reuse and how we are able to dispose of, of these products. But I don't think it's fair to blame this lack of upgradability thing completely on Apple because everyone else followed suit. And I, yep. and, and I think that there are arguments you could make that this is the direction the design was going to go anyway. Um, but I also, so, so that's, I guess that's the one thing I would say. I also think that no matter what happens post dive, like if people want to use this as, as a reason to be like, Oh, you're finally going to be able to upgrade your, your MacBook. No, that's never happening. Like <laughs> you will never be able to upgrade your MacBook yeah. ever again under any silly. circumstances. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, you know, it's not, but I, but I do think, yeah, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And uh, Dieter Rams is who I was referring to uh, earlier. I think I said the, the last, uh, the wrong last name because I was flustered, but Dieter <laughs> Rams was the, the famous industrial brawn designer who other than I've has probably had the most influence on the latter half of the 20th century in terms of design. Anyway. Definitely. I mean, anyone's legacy, like Barack Obama is someone I personally um, respect and admire very deeply. But when the the history books are written on his presidency, there's going to be some some pretty bad stuff there, like uh, radically expanding uh, drone warfare and the legal standards that the United States uh, holds itself to, particularly mm. with civilians. That's going to be a chapter in that book. It doesn't mean like no one's all good or all bad they're they're wins and losses like we look at steve jobs these days very much as a flawed but extremely important and visionary person so i think we can have that discussion about what ive's legacy is with design and i mean it doesn't take away from the brilliant brilliant work that he did i tell you sit there and look at that the the mac cube there is not a piece of acrylic, like plastic out there that's more beautiful than that is. And uh, he, he's truly visionary. And, uh, you know, if we're, if I am pointing to some of these critiques, it doesn't mean I don't respect his work. Totally. And I, I would say, I, I think the iPhone 4 still is probably like the like most perfect. I mean, other than maybe the Palm 5, yep. is probably like one of the most like iconic like mm -hmm. gadgets I can I can think of period like the iPhone 4 is like for me is like peak iPhone I'd agree with that well let's eulogize Johnny Ives career at Apple uh tried to make that less dire sounding as I got in the middle of it <laughs> by telling you guys that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by our friends at Hover if you've been thinking about building an online identity you can get started with one simple step buying a domain with hover you find the domain that shows the world who you are and what you are passionate about 
And as you know, I like to theme these based on our episodes. So today, our passion, kids, can you guess what it is? It's Johnny. Yeah, Johnny. <laughs> Here's Johnny Ive. Um, okay, so let's see. The story of, I guess, the idea that I have for our website is uh, helping Johnny Ive find work. I know he's starting this new company, Love From, but I think maybe he needs something that will show off, you know, his storied past. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look up. I, th- this might be weird considering that I'm looking up somebody who is a known name. Um, wow. However, however, however. Okay, I can buy Johnny Ive dot online. I'm for I'm seeing four ninety nine, and Johnny Ive dot store for seven ninety nine. It's on sale right now. This is unbelievable. He should probably do something about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can also get johnnyive.app. I like that. I'm into johnnyive.io. It's a bit more expensive. But, um, wow, there are an unbelievable amount of options, and I never would have known this. johnnyive.co. Like, that's really clean and nice. That's beautiful. johnnyive.org is available for $13.99. This is, oh, my God, somebody call him. Somebody there's, let there's, him know. Yeah, there, there's johnnyive.tech for $7.99. I mean, there's maybe a, we're just in the exact subset of people that's like, I'm going to look up Johnny Ive and make a website about him. And like the regular URL buying public is like, we, nobody cares. <laughs> johnnyive.cloud. I will say johnnyive.inc. That's not affordable. That's $2,000. But there are literally so many options $50 and under, and also, like, just sub $20. So uh, you, too, should not steal Johnny Ives' identity. But you know what this bodes well for? Finding your own name. Buying a domain name for your own website for your own self. Guess what? It's super easy. I just found those by typing Johnny Ive into Hover Search. Uh, They have no upsells and a very clean user interface. It shows you exactly like, here's the URL. Here is the price. Is it on sale? It tells you. Um, And then you just click the little plus button and you buy that thing. And then it's yours. Hover also offers free who is privacy so that the bad guys don't get your information. In this case, maybe I'm the bad guy (laughs) because I'm trying to steal Johnny (laughs) Ives' identity. Um, Yeah. But I'm not stealing yours, and no one else will either, when you're a customer of Hover. Hover has over 400 domain name extensions to choose from, which can help you brand yourself online. For example, you, johnnyive.co, can distinguish yourself from johnnyive.site, that plebeian. Uh, You can also get all the usuals like .com, .io, but they also have a lot of really fun ones like .coffee, .ceo, or .photography. Um, so that you, Johnny Ive photographer, can distinguish yourself from Johnny Ive dot designer. Whatever you want to showcase to the world, you can do it with Hover. And if you're new to Hover, you can get 10% off any domain extensions for your first year by going to hover.com slash rocket. Make that first step toward building your online identity today. That URL again is h-o-v-e-r dot com slash rocket. Thank you so much, Hover, for your support of this show and Relay FM. This is really fun. Uh, that was a really fun one. 
<laughs> I don't usually, you know, uh, editorialize on my ad reads immediately after doing them. Just kidding. I do every time. Um, <laughs> no, that was a fun one. I like it. I like it. But yes, yeah, seriously, don't, you know, like Domain Jack, Johnny Ive. I mean, I, I was genuinely worried when I typed in his name. I was like, no, there's not going to be anything here. Wow. How wrong I was. What a fool. What a fool me. <laughs> uh, well, that's the last time Johnny Ive will make a fool of me. Moving on. Let's talk about Google Jigsaw. Yeah, so this expose went up in Vice this week. Uh, Jigsaw is a a part of Google that is basically focused on, quote-unquote, making the internet a better place, fixing the internet. They've done a lot of initiatives with places like Citizen Lab, for example, uh, where they launched a website called Security Planner that was dedicated to teaching human human rights activists and other at-risk populations how to be safe online, um, how to protect yourselves in the horrible online community. But basically what this expose is detailing is a company that is kind of obsessed more with press than with results, and that even within Jigsaw, they're just, you know, the your, your, lab, your lab standard garden variety uh, sexism and racism and just kind of very... Toxicity? Yeah, toxic, toxic behavior that uh, is part and parcel of kind of some of the, the the wider examples of bad behavior that we've seen at Google, such as James Damore's letter about how women shouldn't be in programming um, because they're tiny brains. That's my summation. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I wanted to advocate for this topic this week. I, I think it's really interesting on a lot of different fronts. Like uh, Project Jigsaw, in case you're not familiar with it, it, it really has been a vector for fantastic press at Google. And they do a lot of really interesting things. Like they do VPNs uh, that they kind of distribute to people in more authoritarian uh, countries uh, so they can look at the news uncensored and get information there. Uh, they do work with like anti-radicalization. Uh, they have one rather controversial thing where they were uh, basically looking at uh, how to kind of stop ISIS recruitment. And they ended up uh, kind of showing people videos and testimonials from people that had gotten out of ISIS to kind of give them uh, a different perspective and all this stuff that's out there online. So um, it's certainly been a vector for um, for Google to get some very good press as far as being like, look, technology doesn't just ruin the 2016 election. We can do some good things too. We can fix um, the internet. Right. Um, you yeah, know, they have like anti-harassment and, uh, you know, uh, uh, conversation AI that's right. supposed to block things like that. Yeah, exactly. A lot right. of things around press freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with very noble things. Uh, and it kind of turns out, I mean, I, I'm sure, Christina, you also have a lot of friends that work at Google. Some of them mm-hmm. are women. I don't hear great things. I, I wish I could. I know some women that have great things to say. But I, I, I hear a lot of very disturbing stories. Uh, a good friend of mine, Kelly Ellis, has put out many disturbing stories about her mm-hmm. time at Google. So it kind of didn't uh, surprise me that this uh, that there was a lot of uh, burn and churn behind the scenes. Um, before I kind of voice my own opinion on this, I'm uh, like, what do you think about this, Christina? 
No, I mean, it was interesting. I obviously was familiar with, with the Jigsaw um, and some of the things they've done, but I, I didn't know anything about their structure or anything like that. And it's obviously disheartening, I think, to hear um, about the problems that are happening. I mean, it's bad when it happens in any part of an organization. It almost seems, and I don't want to say worse, but there's there's a sense where it's that much more disappointing when um it's the part of an organization that's ostensibly dedicated to trying to make things better. Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, like it's not okay ever in any uh, situation, but it, it just makes it like that much more. I have to imagine like that if you have these social causes behind what you're doing, that has to make it, you know, add yet another level to, to whatever's happening. So I thought that was, you know, kind of interesting. Um, uh, Lorenzo wrote his piece on, I guess it went up Monday and then um, they, they put out, uh, uh, an email which he immediately <laughs> was given a copy of uh, right after maybe uh, Tuesdays is when it uh, went up and, and he got it on Wednesday. Um, you know, basically he got a copy of the internal mail um, saying, you know, I'm disheartened by by what I'm hearing and, and we're we're going to try to make things better. Um, that right there, the fact that he immediately gets access to the email says that that a lot of things with the culture aren't good because when people leak, at least in my experience, having been like a journalist, it's usually not because they hate the company and it's usually not because they're trying to be hurtful, but it's because they feel like they don't have any other recourse other yep. than to do that. Yeah. And that that's the only way they can get any change happening. And so the fact that, you know, so it kind of goes against the whole thing of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm taking responsibility. I'm disheartened and, and things are changing for the better. It's like, clearly that's not true across the board or else you wouldn't have you know, people who work there now still in communication and wanting to um, get the word out. So, I mean, I, I, yeah. I think it's disappointing to see what's happening. But, and it's also, you know, is clearly from the other types of things that we've covered, not unique to just Google or just to, to Jigsaw, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, had two, I, I had two thoughts about this. Um, the first was kind of this instinctual feeling of you can't go out there and you purport to solve the world's problems with the internet and digital culture online if your team structure and your leadership has those same kinds of uh, biases that caused a lot of these problems in the first place, right? Like you've got to have everyone's voice involved. You've got to have a wider perspective if you're going to address this. The, the, the Vice story, it starts out two days after the James Damore memo, Google is in crisis. And two days afterwards, uh, one of the leaders at Google Jigsaw sends out this picture of him basically in blackface after having participated in uh, basically a a tribal ritual, um, which seemed very... Um, it seemed a little out of touch given the the fire that the company was trying to give out at the moment. So on one hand, it's like, of course, if this if this institution is not going to you know, take take getting a wider perspective seriously, of course this is going to happen. It's going to fall apart. And there are some parts of this that were just really, really disturbing. When they had an heir to a crown prince uh, in the Middle East, like they're asking to just be called Hussein in email chains, like that just really doesn't seem right to me. Uh, it didn't seem right to many people there. At the same time, one of the things I've really, 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 really learned in my time in politics is that there is no organization that is perfect. 
And you have to be willing to engage in flawed systems if you want to improve them. So it's also, and I, I don't work on that team, so I'm just surmising here, but I have personally seen well-intentioned teams kind of get in the pursuit of perspective of perfection and kind of nitpick everything the institution is doing to death. So does that make sense? I kind of have this, like, you need to have a better leadership culture, but at the same time, I wonder if, you know, this is a very lofty goal here to go fix the internet's problems. Yeah. I wonder if there's uh, static behind the scenes because of uh, maybe that perfectionist tendency. It's so hard because in theory, even a a company that was toxic, if it, it had if it is looking for these projects that are doing good and using Google's money for that, probably some good will end up getting done. Meh. I guess what I what I feel about the work culture there is that it kind of reminds me of what we see a lot in the game industry where because people are very passionate about games and about making games, they, they will put up with a lot to just get a foothold in that industry. And that can result in the companies creating abusive work situations because the people are so passionate, want to do good things or want to make games that they can be taken advantage of in a work setting. Um, Which is, I, I think just kind of a a widespread problem with companies that that kind of are fueled by worker passion. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's there's an interesting kind of, I guess, complication kind of wrinkle with Jigsaw, too, that a lot of other companies and a lot of other departments and companies don't have, which is that in a lot of ways, it does act as a think tank as and as kind of a, a policy arm, you know, and and. You know, um, Jared Cohen, who runs uh, Jigsaw, he um, worked um, for he was on Honolulu Rice's team for her policy planning staff. And then he stayed under Hillary Clinton and, you know, was kind of considered one of the the pioneering people, you know, in the idea of, of e-diplomacy. And, you know. We obviously, you know, people like Brie are great examples, but we want people who are technologists and people who have those experiences to be part of policy and to be part of change. This is an example of of a group trying to kind of do those things. And I think yeah. it kind of points out how, you know, you can, again, you can have the best intentions, but that doesn't mean that everything is going to be um, fine or that you're going to be able to um, avoid some of the, the things that happen in other places. And I think you make a good point too, Simone, that when you have people who are working there out of passion, that can sometimes um, maybe hide or obstruct other things that are happening yeah. um, or, or let people kind of maybe not, not pay as closely attention to it because they think that like the greater mission, you know, we just got to get through this because the mission is so yeah, important. Yeah, you can put up with a lot if you think, well, in the end, I'm doing a good thing. It'll all balance out. I, I, I do have to say, I feel like the way women are treated, like if you're, if your technology team doesn't have women on it. To me, that is a sign that your company is doing 
something wrong that you need to think about. Like, actually, that's true in any industry, like journalism, where, oh, I guess we just don't have any women that made editor, you know, Or, or, or politics. Like, I can't tell you how many Democratic events I've gone to where there are no women in the room, right? I mean, it's it's really a barometer that there's something fundamentally wrong with your culture there. And, you know, if you have women deserting this particular group in droves, I I just think it's you you got to get your house in order before you, yeah. you you decide to go fix the entire internet because that kind of that problem is going to end up in the things that you're designing right like it, for your solutions it's going to come through yeah any other thoughts Christina no I mean not really I mean it just uh, I. I I'm I'm always here for the hot goss. I'm sorry for anybody who's <laughs> under who's having to go through anything that that's you know traumatic and bad experience. And I hope that you know I think sometimes the the benefits of these things, even though it can be painful for the companies and the and the employees involved when these things become public, is that you know may, maybe it makes people more accountable. And hopefully that'll yeah. happen here because I do think even though I don't use any of their projects, I do think a lot of the work that Jigsaw is doing is important. And we we want those things to continue, but we want it to happen in an environment that is obviously not toxic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode of Rocket is also brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Woohoo! I give your productivity a boost with Text Expander. Turn the things you type often into snippets and use them everywhere you type. Companies use Text Expander for Teams for customer support reports, email, and anywhere else that they need consistent and accurate text. What? If you, if, if like me, if you listeners, if you are like me, if you have similarities with myself, you're always looking for ways to be a little more productive. Uh, you need a text expander. It'll handle all your repetitive typing tasks, leaving more time for what you do best. Christina, what is, I think, the most, I want, I, I do double-fanged question. This is an adder of questions, a a cobra of questions. Um, I want to know the most, I guess, useful snippet that you've designed, but also the most frivolous. Oh, gosh. Okay, so the most frivolous is um, I have the various ASCII uh, emoticons mapped to various things. So I can type in um, asterisk, asterisk, shrug, and it'll give me the shrug guy. And I have other things that'll just automatically insert the various ASCII emoticons I want, just like at a glance. The same thing, I also have emojis mapped to the Slack, uh, way Slack emojis work so that I can use them in any app without having to, you know, um, use the the different key command for the Apple emoji thing. I can just, you know, use the um, uh, double colon, uh, uh, double colon, you know, colon, colon, um, like whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the most frivolous. And then the most useful, I have a couple of different ones. So um, I, I have some things tied into various Apple scripts where it will grab things for me and run certain things. But I think that probably, um, and I think I might, I might have mentioned this on another episode too, but I'll mention it again because it was really useful. When I was doing Microsoft Ignite the tour um, this year and I was in a bunch of cities, I had like a whole CLI, so a command line script where I would execute a bunch of commands to spin up a VM with a certain image and with certain, you know, like configuration points and whatnot and generate an SSH key and, and do other stuff. And I had that map to like, um, 
five characters. So I typed in, you know, a couple things, VM, and that that script would immediately um, come out. And that was incredibly useful because when I'm doing a demo in front of, you know, hundreds of people, I don't want to have to memorize that, right? Yeah. I don't want to miss a step. I don't want to have, you know, um, a, 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 a an error someplace when I'm typing live where it doesn't, you know, compute. So that was really, really useful. Just being able to have like a, a short uh, command to run one of my scripts is really useful. All right. Well, if you want to be as useful as Christina, you can visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about text expander. That's again, textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. Thank you so much, Text Expander from Smile, for your support of this show and Relay FM. All right. It's the moment <laughs> you've all been waiting for. Oh, God. It's time. Okay. So the good. Taylor Swift situation. Um, and this, as I said earlier, a rich vein. It's a rich vein. So Taylor Swift uh, had left her first record company, or the first company that she signed with, the first label she signed with, Big Machine. Uh, to sign a contract with Universal. Um, and when she did so, she left behind basically the the masters, the rights to her first six albums. Um, and now what has happened is that the man who owned Big Machine sold it and sold it to a man named Scooter Braun, who mm-hmm. a lot of people in the record industry have strong feelings about in both directions. He has a lot of uh, clients, such as Justin Bieber, who love him. Uh, I almost said Demi Moore. Demi Lovato, who love him. And then a lot of other people are basically on uh, the side of Taylor Swift and feel that they have been bullied by him, that he's been just kind of a a toxic force in the music industry. Um, And now he owns the Masters to Taylor Swift's first six albums. So she posted a Tumblr post, uh, basically, uh, it it was very, uh, I think what Variety said, it was very emotional. And I agree. Like, it was a very kind of sad, this is how it is, a man who tried to destroy my career owns the masters to my music instead of me, the artist who made that music. Um, and, yeah, and the, indus- the music industry is now divided. Yeah, well, the one the one thing you left out uh, was that when Taylor left Big Machine to go to Universal, one of the reasons she left was that they she was trying to come up with a deal. She'd been trying for years and had been public for years that she'd been trying to buy her masters. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the songwriter on all of her songs, so she has the the you know the the songwriting credits but she doesn't have like the masters to the to the the actual recordings themselves and um and so she she gets like a portion whenever they're played or licensed or whatever but she doesn't get all of it and she wanted to have you know control over all of it and there had been you know protracted negotiations between her and Big Machine. She wanted to buy things back. And the only way that Big Machine said that she could have her master's was if she signed another contract. And for each album she gave them, she would get an album back. And that would be the only way she could get her master's back, that she wasn't given the opportunity to just spend 
in this case, Scooter Braun spent $300 million to buy a big machine. And basically, the most valuable part of big machine buy of, of the vast majority is Taylor Swift's Masters. Yeah. She wasn't given the opportunity to just like write a check. She was said, okay, if you want to get these, then then you have to sign this contract and do these other things. So I that left was that out because I, in the variety of reports I read, that people were saying that that was part of the he said, she said. Well, of I mean, the situation. No, I mean, no, even even uh, Scott Borchetta, who released his own, like, this is the truth, oh, cool. he showed two copies of, like, what her terms were for signing a contract to renew and what his terms were. And his terms, gotcha. which they said were final offers, was said that it was kind of at will and they could kind of drop things at any time, that it was a 10-year agreement and that um, it was, you know, one album to get one back. Um, her lawyer has also said, and no one from you know, Bruschetta's camp has disputed this because I mean, like the way his language has been has been really specific, but no one has disputed this that says she was not given the opportunity to buy things outright with cash. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what Variety did say, and this is undisputed, is that when Scott Bruschetta, who'd been trying to sell this label for a long time, one of the things, and he had like majority voting share, right? So he can make the decision if he sells it or doesn't because it's a private company. One of the sticking points would be that he wanted to remain involved as CEO of the label. Mm-hmm. So even if it were one of those scenarios where she came in and like tried to be like, you know, um, like, a, like a stalking horse, but be like, here's $500 million because he owns the majority of the label and has the majority of the voting shares she can't just buy it, right? Like yeah. he, it would be, because he would be like, well, I still want to be CEO, right? Yeah. So, so you know, I, I think that that that's, but but it is not a contention that she'd wanted to get her master's back. How, what what the the part of contention is is how uh, what that really meant, and and if she really took the chances that she had to do that, that's in dispute. But the fact is that she wanted the masters, and that she and that 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 had been part of the negotiations when she left. Hmm. Well, so a lot of it's caused a lot of of tweets to happen. Um, and part <laughs> of I think the the other contextual backstory for this is that uh, its roots are really in the Kim Kardashian and Kanye West versus Taylor Swift drama of yeah. I don't even remember what year twenty sixteen twenty sixteen yeah. ten years ago wow it was already ten years I since know, then I know and um, you know what and, and and if we want to be honest it really goes back to probably Justin Bieber being a d- to Selena Gomez oh my god so this was of course <laughs> this was uh, when Kanye West released the video uh, where he portrays himself in bed with a bunch of like wax figures of Taylor Swift. Uh, naked. I have and to say that was really disgusting. It was like, low. Was, oh. It was low, Kanye. I mean, everybody that he portrayed in that, like he had Hillary, he had Trump, he had you know Anna Wintour, he had Taylor, he had um, uh, Black China, his um, uh, not Black China, um, uh, Amber. Um, uh, he had uh, uh, like so many people. It was really gross, mm-hmm. just like and the naked bodies. The drama of that was then that Taylor came out and said, I never agreed to this. This is nonsense. And Kim Kardashian released a an Instagram video showing or playing audio ostensibly of a conversation between Taylor and Kanye where Taylor is allegedly 
being told about the video and thinks no, no, it's no, funny. no. It wasn't about the video. It was about oh, the song. Oh, that was about the song. That was about yeah, the song. The, the line. The video was, was um, never permitted. Yeah, the, the video was never permitted. Famous. Yeah, I didn't know that the song was, and the line was, it was. I, I, I think me and Taylor should still have sex. Why I made that bitch famous. Yes. And, uh, and she apparently agreed to it. There's, there's audio of that. She's disputed parts of that. I think we all think that she probably agreed to it, and then she heard the whole context, and it was like, yeah. Oh no! You didn't make me famous. Can, can and then I say chose something the wrongest way to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. So okay, this is the context of which when I, I forget the guy's name, the record label dude wrote a a blog like saying my side of this. I went through yeah. all of it. I read it all, and the first thing I was thinking about was exactly that, Simone, like the mm-hmm. whole Kanye thing and the Kim Kardashian going, "Hey, I got receipts on this," and then just playing the tape. Uh, it, it, for that reason, it seemed kind of credible to me, and I don't know. I I I like Taylor Swift, but I have to say, I kind of I I didn't really come away from that feeling empathetic about her towards this situation. From the Kanye West song situation, no, no, no. or, or from, oh, the, from this situation, from, from this situation with the music block, like she's like, oh, I didn't get a chance to own it. Now this person that bullied me has done X, Y, and Z, and then you know he's like showing all the legal stuff there, and I'm like, well, it seems like this is a really unfortunate situation. They tried to get as much as they could from her. She wrote that note saying, you know, I'm going to bet on my future instead. I I don't know. I just I I I, I kind of walk away not liking anyone here. I mean, I think legally, obviously, they have they are in the right here. Um, yeah. I I think I honestly don't have anything wrong with Taylor's post because it's not really it's not it's not doing anything. It's just being honest about her right. feelings of being upset that she doesn't own her work because of a contract she signed when she was fifteen. Um, and I think that, I mean, one of the variety posts that I read did raise the question of like, what is the end game here? Like, what is her goal by making this public by kind of bringing this problem to light? And I honestly don't think maybe this is naive of me. I don't think that there is an end game. I think that she's just upset uh, by not owning her music. That's fair. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I think that ideally, like, look, I think that she legally and knows that she doesn't have a leg to stand on, right? Like, she's not threatening to sue anybody. She's not being like, this sale shouldn't go through. Um, I think that, uh, you know, every entertainment lawyer that's been quoted, like the Financial Times, you know, had some good articles, Friday. Nobody's being like, oh, Taylor has a case to get her her master's here. But this has been a big thing. You know, Prince famously, you know, had a, a, a falling out with Universal. You know, the Beatles, you know, Michael Jackson bought their master's and that was, you know, a huge issue of contention. And it's been a problem that a lot of artists have faced where they're not able to own the master's for their work and somebody else, you know, is then in control of kind of their legacy and can profit off those things. Um, Taylor at least is in the scenario where because she is the songwriter on all of her songs, she has, you know, a little bit more ownership than than some other scenarios, but it, it's still really unfortunate. But I mean, I think it's not like she can stop the sale, right? Like it it, it yeah. happened and, and this guy has it. What she can do, though, is make a really big stink about things, make people have other conversations. And I mean, I think if there is an end game, she can she can make she can work to try to make you know, Scooter Braun persona non grata in, in some of her circles and with, with some of her people, you know, and kind of force people to kind of choose sides. Do you want to do business with him or do you want to do business with me? Yeah. I mean, which, 
I don't know, this is the Taylor Swift I love personally. I'm like, yeah. come on. <laughs> you know, like this is this is the Taylor Swift that I'm like such a diehard fan of is like the Taylor you know, Swift of the pulling my music from Spotify. Well, yeah, well, the you know, um, there's nothing I do better than revenge is literally something that she wrote, uh, you know, in the song Better Than Revenge of uh, the album Speak Now, like she and she's not wrong. Right. I mean, like literally, like I love it when she just goes no holds barred. But I mean, legally, I mean, she she screwed up. A lot of people are saying, well, she should have just bought the label. And they're not wrong, but I'm not convinced that she was necessarily in a position to buy it. Um, yeah. Which also, that's I think, a lot to ask of someone, not just like spend a lot of money to buy your music back, but also buy a business and then keep it running. No, that's a whole job. <laughs> well, no, I mean, totally. Well, especially since, again, like the value of the business is the masters. Like if, if the masters weren't part of the business sale, it wouldn't be worth $300 million. It wouldn't be worth, it would probably be worth $30 million, right? Like, mm-hmm. honestly, like that, that would probably be what it would be worth. And so, you know, you understand why obviously Scooter Braun wanted it, right? Because this is a highly valuable asset. Yeah. Um, I think that his wife was pretty gross to get on Instagram and be like, don't bring our kids into this when like, Nobody brought their kids into it, but Scooter did post stuff to his Instagram stories, reposting somebody like one of his friends who like photoshopped her into a, a, a um, an image with the three of them, and was what? like, "My friend just bought at Taylor Swift." Yikes! Ew. Like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, and he put that on his Instagram story, and then his wife is all like, "Don't bring the kids into this. He's a good man." I'm like, nobody brought your damn kids into this lady. Like yeah. nobody cares about your kids. Like people are, uh. people are, are, are calling your, your husband out. Uh, Yasha, uh, uh, Yasha like put up an amazing kind of tweet storm that he kept up for a couple of days, uh, that, uh, that covered all the drama and all the celebrity back and forth. Cause, cause yeah, that was pretty it was great. a lot. I have noticed, and this is purely anecdotal just from reading the articles that I've read it seems like a lot of the people that are siding with Taylor on this are prominent women musicians. Yep. Uh, like I've seen Justin Bieber talk about Scooter Braun and then Demi Lovato, the exception to that, but like Halsey, um, I think Billie Eilish. Am I making that up? I um, think you're right. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the women musicians are picking side Taylor. And supporting, yeah. or at least supporting her publicly. Yeah, or at least they're supporting the idea of, even if they're like, hey, this was a completely valid business transaction, artists should be allowed to own their masters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it is starting an interesting conversation. And then, of course, there's like the music industry side of it, which is like, what if this, you know, upsets, I guess, the the status the quo structure. that exists, the structure that exists. Yeah, that's a better way yeah. of putting it. Um, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing, right? Like, one thing that, that hasn't kind of, I mean, in some of the industry pieces, they've mentioned it, but, you know, she signed with with Universal. She signed with Lucian Grange, who's the, the CEO of Universal. For a long time, the rumor was that Universal was going to buy Big Machine. And I have to think, and this is just me completely coming out of like, this is just me guessing. I have no knowledge of this. So not take this as fact because it is not. But it would, it would, to me, wouldn't seem un, unfeasible for her to think, okay, well, if Universal, who I've just signed this nine-figure deal with, if they buy the label, then I might have the ability to buy my master's from Universal when I do other contract negotiations in the future. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Whereas I think, like, it, it really did read to me from her post, it wasn't that he sold, it was that he sold to this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, it's very personal. Well, well, well. So before you ask me what I'm doing this week, Simone, can I tell you how much I liked your uh, your influencer pictures that you took and posted on Twitter this weekend? You look gorgeous. Thank you. We should talk about them. But before we talk about them, can I tell you that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Direct Mail? Yes. An easy-to-use email marketing app designed exclusively for the Mac to help you create and send great-looking email newsletters. Can I tell you about it? Yes, tell us about it. I will tell you that email marketing is still an incredibly cost-effective way to reach your customers and grow your business. And that for the past 15 years, Mac users around the world have trusted the Direct Mail app to handle all of their email marketing needs. It is designed just for the Mac, which means it's fast, easy to use, and works great with the other apps and services that you already use because you're a Mac user. At this point in the in the ad, if you're still listening, you're a Mac user probably, unless you're just a PC user who really respects me. Maybe you're crying <laughs> tears streaming down your face because you can't access the goodness that is quickly and easily composing high-quality emails that look great on mobile and desktop. Or growing your mailing list by creating email sign-up forms that you can add to your website or Facebook page. Or maybe I see you're crying because you can't have email campaigns sent automatically without you lifting a finger. Those are all things that people who use direct mail do. And they do it with smiles on their faces and joy in their hearts. Direct mail also have real human live chat customer support available to answer your every question. And Direct Mail is the number one top-rated email marketing app for the Mac with five-star reviews on the App Store, Get App, and elsewhere. And it's trusted by small businesses, nonprofits, schools, and Fortune 500 companies alike. Guess what? Direct Mail is free to download and get started, and listeners of this podcast can save 10% off all of the full-feature pricing plans. So head over to directmailmac.com slash rocket to check it out. That is directmailmac.com slash rocket to get 10% off when you opt for a full-feature plan. Thank you so much, Direct Mail, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. Now let's talk about how beautiful I am. Um, yes, let's, let's, let's talk really, about this. You looked really gorgeous in those pictures. You did. Like the lighting was amazing. Thank uh, you so much. You have much. a fun hat. I was wearing uh, my grandmother's clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and my favorite part of this is like there is a there was an irony of like you know this is like a BS in like influencer picture that you're taking at oh, the same absolutely. time. And and the disdain for the entire thing comes through but in an ironic way. So I just I thought it was a cool picture. It was so good. It was How so long good. did it take you to set them up? I'm just curious because like influencers famously like takes them forever. Like what was what was your process? How long did it take you to take them? Honestly, not that long. We kind of, we <laughs> ran around the hotel for about 40 minutes or so. But the one, a lot of the ones, um, we like we just took pictures of each other, me and my friend Tara Burton, uh, and then we got random like we we looked for victims basically to take pictures of us together in the hotel. And uh, everyone who did 
was really, really good. Like, there's something about wearing a bunch of vintage clothes and asking people to take pictures of you. Like, it brought out the photographer in all of them. They were, like, changing angles and, like, uh, suggesting poses for us or getting on their knees. Like, it made everyone an artist. And I I think that I I uplifted people just by looking so good. So I'd like to thank me. I love it. And what was what was the TWA hotel like? It was great. So if you don't follow <laughs> me on Instagram at Doom Quasar, uh, at JFK, they turned the old TWA terminal, which is this gorgeous 1960s terminal, uh, which was featured in the Leonardo DiCaprio film, Catch Me If You Can, into sure a ridiculous luxury hotel. And they restored the entire interior in pitch perfect golden age of travel 1960s aesthetic. So like really like bright red carpets and chairs. It's this high ceiling, this swooping building with strange archways, like arched paths everywhere. Um, it is so beautiful and the lighting is great because it's just all windows. Um, and it's just, so it's a hotel and they also have a rooftop pool and a bar. And uh, we went to all of those places. And the best part that we did not go to, because we are fools, is they have an actual TWA plane behind the hotel (gasps) that is also a bar. And you can go in it, like up the the air, the gangplank, whatever they call the stairs that come out of an airplane. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like it's a gangplank. That's a pirate ship. Uh, It's definitely a gangplank. I'm I'm getting a call (laughs) uh, from from airline, Mr. Airline. And he says... It's gangplank. So okay. um, I love it. If you want to fight with Mr. Airline, fine. And the I will fight with Mr. Airline. Thank you. Oh, Mr. Much. Airline, Brianna wants to fight you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell her. Mr. Airline will be waiting. Um, he'll he'll meet you tomorrow at the office. Don't uh, worry about it. Don't worry about time. My parking garage. It's gonna be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's connected to the JetBlue terminal. So you could just go there and get a drink and then walk up a beautiful ramp and be in JetBlue. I am not being paid for this, by the way. <laughs> it was just a really fun day. So we just bought like a, a room for the day because uh, my friend was flying out that afternoon. So we we got there really early in the morning, had breakfast, took photos, went to the pool, um, got her very drunk. And then I put her on an airplane and I came <laughs> home. So <laughs> I love it. Yeah, definitely I love it. recommend for a day stay. Okay, no, because I've been thinking about this because um, it it opened right after I, I um, l- last time I was in New York and uh, I read about it and I was like, okay, this this is the sort of kitsch stuff that like I live for. So next time um, I I go to New York, I might actually like plan my JFK layover, or whatever, for enough time to to hang out at the TWA hotel. I am one hundred percent thinking like, okay, if I come back late maybe i get a room if i'm leaving maybe i'll go to the airplane airplane airport really really early so i can go hang out at the hotel um yeah it was a lot of fun i'm i'm kicking myself i'm looking at the two flights i'm taking this summer and they're both out of freaking newark um Uh, why are you flying united why else would you fly out of newark cheap but once you add in the uber fee to get to newark it's not i take the train we want you to make better decisions. I know, and so, I'm trying. Yeah. That's I mean, at becoming least it's not LaGuardia, but like... Wow, LaGuardia is really easy to get to, and the remodel is great. Thank you for tuning in to <laughs> Rocket, our show about airplanes, ironically, I mean, look, and airports. Yeah, um, no, look, I will say, when I lived in Prospect Heights, I did like LaGuardia because it was super easy to get to, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, 
I don't know. Also, secondly, just saying, we really, after your year of travel, genuinely could start a podcast about airports. But this is true. Oh my God. I have such strong Brianna, tell me what you have done this week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what have I done? Uh, So, uh, you know, Q1 was my most successful quarter in uh, political fundraising in my entire career of running for Congress. And for Q2, we more then doubled that number. Oh my God. We more than doubled it. And I have to tell you, Q3 is going to be even stronger. So a lot of Rocket listeners helped us out with that. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to one of them right now that I was talking to just today to thank him. His name is Angel uh, Pizarro. Angel, thank you very much for supporting our campaign. Uh, So tomorrow's the 4th of July. So when you're a politician, you're a human machine. I am walking not one not two, but three parades tomorrow. Oh my God. And going to two barbecues. I don't even want to think about how many hands I'm going to shake tomorrow, uh, but it's going to be great, especially if it's going to be 90 degrees. Do you get to stagger so you can do like parade, barbecue, parade, barbecue, or is it going to be like Uh, three parades and then two barbecues? uh, It's going to be parade, parade, Barbecue parade, barbecue. So okay, that's um, not bad. That's not bad because yeah, then you get to yeah. refuel in the middle. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and then you get to walk off the meat. You get to and walk then off the yeah. barbecue, eat meat, and sleep. I'm just being lazy tomorrow, really. So yeah, um, <laughs> it's gonna be great. And all of this right after I moved into an entire house. So I'm just full of energy. Let me tell you. Oh boy, <laughs> Christina, what are you up to? Well, I don't have work tomorrow, but I'm going to a barbecue um, with some uh, friends, so that should be fun. Um, And I've been working on stuff that I can't really talk about, but things that are good. Just had a a lot of uh, kind of work stuff, nothing overly exciting um, uh, for the listeners, but fun things nonetheless. And speaking of my year of travel, um, we're now in the planning stages for for next year's year of travel. Uh, I won't be in as many cities next year, but I will still be at at, at quite a few. So, um, but we've announced um, that the next uh, year of uh, Microsoft Ignite the Tour and uh, those tour dates are, are live now. So, and we're, last year we were in 17 cities. This year we will be in 30. Oh my God. So it's going to even more places. Yeah. I will not be in 30. I'll oh be in like seven, God. but like it, it's, it, yeah, but it's exciting. It's a lot of stuff. Is pot legal in Seattle? I'm just yeah. asking. Oh, yeah. 100%. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, like there, there are dispensaries <laughs> everywhere. I mean, I'm just saying, not, 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 that, not that I know from professional experience or anything. Right. Right. <laughs> I've just seen them around, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, what am I doing? So I was an influencer (laughs) last weekend. I had, I swear to God, something important and exciting to say, and now I don't remember what it was. Oh, no, I remember what it was. Okay, so uh, if you follow Polygon on YouTube, you might have seen our board game series, Overboard, uh, the most recent one, which came out on last Sunday, has Jacob Badalon, who is Ned in Spider-Man Far From Home. So if you're... Craving more of that action and also want to watch us play a fun game together, uh, go to youtube.com slash polygon. Also, I think it, yes, I don't, can't remember if I talked about this, but I am going to be at San Diego Comic-Con this year uh, because Polygon and TCL are hosting a party together. So, um, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Uh, The guest list is full. Sorry. (laughs) There is a wait list. It's like 2,000 people long. Um, But I will be at comic-con uh so rocket rules will apply if you run into me uh i will buy you a drink i'm feeling i'm feeling good right now feeling wealthy i can buy you a drink 
hopefully, in San Amazing. Diego. I don't know what prices are like there. Uh, but yeah, those are the exciting things that have happened to me this week. Have you ever been to San Diego Comic-Con before? I have never been to San Diego, period. Okay, you're going to have a great time. But also, it's a lot. Are you just going to the parties or are you going to try to go to Hall H and try to go to I'm the con itself? I'm going to just go to the parties. Okay, that's a good That's a good plan. That's yeah. a good plan because uh, it's a lot. I don't want to fight. I don't want to. I don't have But you're going to have a great time. You're going to have a great time. And uh, yeah, that, that sounds good. Oh, I'm going to be in Orlando next week, so I don't know if I'm going to be on the show, but uh, I will be going to Disney for Brie. So. Oh. You lucky duck. Are you going to go to uh, Galaxy's Edge? Galaxy's End? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I we, we should... Uh, yeah, I'll do my best. It'll be on Sunday, so I don't know if if uh, what the lines will be like. I imagine they'll be pretty it, hellacious. It will but be I've bad. Got, I've, I've got to do some uh, some um, work, some videos for work. So at, at the very least, you should go there and you should do the thing where you get to build your own lightsaber. And then you get to decide, like, are you, like, you get to decide what kind of lightsaber you make and the crystal and the handle and you get to walk out. Yeah, I want to see what Christina Warren's lightsaber looks like. That yeah. is that is information I need. All right, all right. I will do. I will do it for the pod, and uh, I think we can all imagine that I'm. I'm obviously like you know going to be on the dark side, but yeah. Uh, we'll 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 see what it what it looks like. I would also be on the dark side. I'll just own that. So, <laughs> all right, everybody. Uh, <laughs> where can we find you online, Christina? So you can find me online at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams, and I will actually be using Instagram this weekend um, when I'm at Disney. So yeah. Be tuned in for that just to see what lightsaber I, I built myself. Yay. And Brianna, what about you? Uh, you can find me on, oh God, what's my fucking Twitter handle? Brianna Wu at Twitter and uh, developer Brianna Wu on Facebook. Excellent. And of course, you can f- go to supportbrianna.com. Supportbrianna.com. Thanks to all the To rock- get ahead on Q3. Yeah. yeah. Thanks to all the Rocket listeners that, uh, that supported me. It really means a lot to me. Heck yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and Instagram too. Uh, and YouTube.com slash Polygon is where the videos live. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Rockets. If you liked it, please share it with a friend and take a couple seconds, approximately 5.3, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that helps other people find the show too. This episode of Rockets is terminated. 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 Terminated.